Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Adam Ludgate. Adam is a technical leader who is involved in the startup tech community and is enticed by new and innovative ways of solving problems with technology. He has worked previously with the likes of IBM Canada, AOL UK, tech startups in London's Silicon Roundabout, as well as in a variety of oil and gas software firms in various software development and leadership capacities. Now let's join Adam as he has a conversation with Tyler Chisholm. Take it away, Adam. Thanks, Al. Today on the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, I am speaking with Tyler Chisholm, who is the co-founder of Clear Motive and the co-founder of the Collisions YYC podcast. So uh, I think it's probably your first time in the guest chair, Tyler, and uh, pretty great to have you. It's a pleasure, Adam. Thanks for having me on. It's a it's a bit nerving. It's uh, I, I've my personal experience is it's way easier being being the host, <laughs> depending on maybe it's also because I have the most experience. And I've done a, I've done a handful of episodes, and I, I really enjoy it. But uh, honored to be on the show today, and uh, I'm looking forward to being in the quote unquote hot seat. <laughs> yeah, right on. So love to learn a bit more about you and your background. How did you end up where you are today? As I like to say, who are you, and where did you come from? Oh, it's a long meandering path and I will do my best, something I don't excel at, of being uh, succinct in this storytelling. Um, I came to Alberta back in 2000, so I proudly consider myself an Albertan now. I remember, I remember that I, I originally grew up in uh, southern Quebec, Montreal area. I remember probably five or six years after living out here, going back to Montreal and being like, I'm not from here anymore. It was kind of a weird like high and low moment. So I'm all in with, uh, with Alberta. I've been here for 20 plus years. My wife here built my business here. And, Love it. Wouldn't, wouldn't live anywhere else here, certainly in the short term. But um, I was a commercial pilot. I moved out to Alberta to fly. So I was a farm kid growing up in Quebec. And when you grow up on a farm, for me anyways, it was all about like the next coolest thing to like, you learn to drive the tractor when you're seven, then you learn to drive the truck. And then you'd like, so flying planes was just the next coolest thing for me. So that was always my path. My mom has a letter I think I wrote in grade five, like I want to be a pilot. And so that had always been my journey. So I moved, got my pilot's license, my multi-commercial IFR, ended up moving out to Alberta. It's 2000, had a couple jobs lined up, both fell through, couldn't get work, couldn't get work, couldn't get work. Then 9-11 happened and that kind of put a real, uh, a little, little real downturn in the, uh, in the aviation industry. And so ended up changing my path and got involved in the fitness industry at the time. You and I were joking offline It kind of like when the fitness industry was kind of getting going beyond just like the gym and the weight loss world. And that started to come together a little bit with personal training and fitness and had a really cool opportunity to end up partnering with a company out of California. And they used to fly me around to different gyms that were like, say a gym bought a new Gold's Gym franchise. They would then go, well, we need to set up a personal training program and a nutrition program, but we need to understand how to run it, sell it, all those things. So if I think back and unpack my journey, that was really where I got my kind of teeth wet or my feet wet, I should say, my teeth cut. Working with entrepreneurs and working with business owners of helping them deliver value, helping them understand how to sell. And it was doing something I was really passionate about at the time and parlayed that into coming back to Calgary starting a business here and then really falling in love with the idea and the concept around brand. So started going back to like night classes from everything from finance to marketing to everything you need to do to run a business and really fell in love with business kind of the mid 2000s, uh, 2005, 2004, built a business, learned that, met my current business partner right now, uh, Chad Croker in Clear Motive, really fell in love with the ability to go, hey, like 
coming and bringing value to companies around brand and their ability to communicate with their customers. He had a small agency. I decided to join him and, you know, kind of things ran away from there. And that was in, I went all in on the marketing side of my role and the business marketing side in 2009, 2010. And been doing that ever, ever since. And it's just been a fantastic, fantastic experience for me. So there's a quick synopsis, but yeah, a bit of an eclectic past that kind of makes sense when I reverse engineer it. But at the time, it was just moving to the next thing that was, that I was passionate about and excited about. Yeah, cool. So I want to blow more about your, you know, your, main operating business, which is Clear Motive. Love to do a little bit more work what you guys are up to. Also, we want to definitely discuss the Collisions YYC podcast and how that all came in. And then, you know, on the theme of, of Rainforest Alberta, which we're, which we're talking around is, is kind of the, the future of Alberta, the, you know, the tech economy and, and of which you, you kind of wrote a blog post, I think, about just over a month ago. And would love to, love to walk through the details of that and what your thinking mm-hmm. is on where we sit and where we're, where we're headed. So, um, but first, let's let's start off with with Clear Motive. So that's that's kind of your prime thing right now. And yes. what are you guys up to there? Uh, Clear Motive, we're a modern marketing agency. We've been around from so, like I said, probably oh seven oh eight when we kind of got started and got really serious about twenty ten. Had a really big win. We took on became agency of record for Honda Canada back in twenty eleven. That was our moment. That was our turning point of you know a nine person shop in Alberta. They got invited through relationships and you know, to pitch for that business out of Toronto. So. We were nine people at the time. And I think the, uh, the smallest agency that we were up against was like 100 plus people. And that was our moment where we won the business by being like, it was one of those moments where in the world of RFPs, like, do you really understand the ask? And, and that's when I really started to learn the lessons in, in, in real time of reading between the lines and understanding what provides value to clients. And that's, I think, been the backbone of our business ever since. So we won the business and literally, I'll be you know candid because we held on with our fingernails. Like we were... We were too small. We weren't organized. We didn't have the infrastructure in place. And you know, we went from nine people to 20 people in three months, which is only 20 people, but it's still double. So that really helped define us as an agency because working with a, with a global brand like Honda, you learn about the things, the details that matter. And you learn about the politics and culture of moving ideas through a large organization. It was just an absolutely, we were honored to do it and a fantastic experience. While simultaneously, we, so we set up an office in Toronto but also being in Alberta, where we got to work with a lot of small to medium-sized businesses, where we got to... So both sides are really interesting. This, these large enterprise like Honda, where it's a big ship. And to move that ship, you got to really lean up against it. And even then, you maybe move it a degree, but you know, you're, you're moving with them. You're not necessarily helping them set their direction. Where with small to medium-sized businesses in Alberta, we very much came in as an agency that were business first. Let's really understand your business. Let's understand where we can create you know, profitable revenue and positive impact in your business before we ever show up with our marketing toolbox. And that worked really well for us. And it continues to work today. And as we've evolved into more of a modern marketing agency, and I say that as we need to break down more silos, as sales and marketing need to be more intertwined, where you need to have more optics from your strategy right through to, did it convert? And did it convert with the right customers in the right way? And what, what did that take? So over the years, we've become much more integrated and we work with our clients much more closely to not only help them with the strategy, but take it right through to execution. So from sitting at the, the strategic table to right through to, you know, we manage our media, our digital media in-house because it gives us more opportunity to move in real time and make pivots and kind of work at the speed of today's business. And I have to say, I've been so privileged to be at Clear Motive and to work with amazing clients. It's like living in a living, breathing case study you're constantly getting to work with these companies to understand how they tick, to help them solve their problems, to really lean in and like, what's the problem behind the ask? Oh, we need, we need X. It's like, well, okay, before we just go do X for you, 
let's really understand like if X is successful, what will happen and what is it you're actually trying to, you know, I always joke, no one, very few companies would call us because they needed a new website. They called us because they needed more leads or they needed better employer branding or, you know, taking the time to understand that versus just kind of running around with some cool, shiny tactics, which our industry is full of. It's been a real privilege. And, you know, it, it, my curiosity was always fulfilled because you're always opportunity to ask more questions and to kind of dig in a little bit deeper. So it's been a, been a fantastic ride and it's, it continues to evolve and like never a dull day when you work in marketing. Yeah, I bet. Cool. And how big are you guys now? Uh, we're 25, 24, 25 full time and probably about the same amount of contractors. We do. There's, it's such an amazing, our world of the gig economy and uh, our ability to work with amazing people all across the country, North America, to bring them in for those specialty projects or those things that we need. You know, where we really pride ourselves is being able to be that partner for the client. We're very transparent. We bring in people from the outside. But our goal is to really have a deep understanding of their business. So even when we bring in contractors and kind of, you know, we have purpose-built teams for some of our larger clients. But we also have project-based teams where, you know, there'll be a core group of us internally, but then we'll bring in the rest of the team to do the work the client needs and then disperse and come back together. And, you know, kind of one of our core competencies is that ability to have that trusted group of people on the bench at, at, at all times and being able to get the answer and get the outcome the client wants very transparently, but not always having to have that team in-house. So it keeps us a lot more agile. Yeah, that's a very nice, nice ability to have. I think uh, being able to deliver timely fashion to your customers like that is great. So that's cool. Sounds like you got something good going. Never, 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 never boring, Adam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seems, seems to be that way in the, in the uh, digital space right now. So, um, and on that note, so you, you started the Collisions Wire. I see you co-founded that podcast, right? So tell us a little bit about the background, how that came to be. Well, it, I, I kind of got conned into it. <laughs> I, I say, I say, I say in jest. Uh, someone who's become, become a very good friend of mine, Mr. Kevin Crow, is SVP strategy over at Longview. I met Kevin. Actually, I had another podcast called They Just Get It. And it was my own way to go, you know what? I want to get out in the community. I want to be more involved. I need to, you know, like so many people, like, oh, I need to create content. But I didn't really, wasn't into writing newsletters, blogs, wasn't really my thing. At scale, I said, well, I do love to talk. So maybe a podcast. And I had a buddy that, you know, was in the, in the music industry. So he's like, oh, hey, here's a mic. Here's the, you know, the, the mixer box. Here's, so all of a sudden, I kind of put it out to the world and it kind of showed up. But so doing that first, uh, first podcast, I met, started meeting a lot of people. And through that is how I met Kevin. And Kevin sat down with me and said, Tyler, I'm having conversations all over town with senior business leaders, uh, businesses of all shapes and sizes. And he goes, man, there are so many conversations happening, but nobody seems to be talking to each other. We need to collide these people together. And you're like, there's two companies. One has maybe solved the problem. One's trying to solve it, but they don't know what's going on with the, with the other. And you know, at a time back, we, we launched our first episode, uh, July 29th, 2019. So we'd been in the downturn for a good handful of years. There's a lot of negativity kind of out there in the media. But his angle was, there's a lot of positive things happen. They're not really just getting, they're not getting the airtime. And that's when he's like, you know, we, we, Tyler, need to start a podcast. And I was like, I already have a podcast. I'm good. And anyways, long story short, we ended up, I ended up agreeing. And he just started pumping me with guests. All of a sudden, it was like, guest one, guest two, guest three, guest four. We started doing it. And I have to say, always looked, always wanted to look for a silver lining. Uh, COVID was a turning point for us. So we started it in the end of uh, like July, 2019, one or two episodes a month. And it was going and getting some positive feedback. And I joke to this day, I would still do it if nobody listened because I was getting to have these amazing conversations with such interesting people and just being able to come with my full, my full weight of my curiosity to bear and just being able to like something about being that interviewer, maybe as maybe you have a similar experience, 
that ability to just keep asking questions like what might be annoying in normal life, but in the podcast realm, you could just keep asking questions all day long. It's great. And then, and then COVID hit and we went from launching two or three episodes a month to launching eight to 10 to 12 episodes a month. And everybody was available. Uh, I felt very privileged because I did not feel isolated at all because everyone I reached out to was like, yeah, sure. When do you want to record? How about tomorrow? And being able to leverage technology. And I do miss being in person. We used to record all of our episodes face to face and something about the, the real just sitting with somebody that I really liked. But the scalability through technology, we just started, I think I recorded, I think, I think six episodes in three days was my kind of like, well, okay, I need to take a break here. Like it was almost getting out of hand, but so many cool people to talk to. And then our listenership just started to climb. And, you know, it's very local. We're hyper-targeted. So, you know, if we get 2,500 or 3,000 downloads a month over, you know, seven or eight episodes, that's great for us. But in our statistics, it shows that about 88% of that is coming from Alberta. And I would argue the bulk of that is coming from Calgary. So we definitely went all in on the niche approach. And uh, just the people that I've met and the conversations I've been have, it's just, it's, I again, feel privileged every day to be able to have them. Yeah, super cool. And uh, yeah, definitely. I, I echo your, uh, your comments there around hosting and, and being able to ask questions, you know, Pre, in pre-COVID times, my wife and I, would, you know, we go together to various events, networking events, or whether it's a corporate party or whatever. And I just ask people questions and just, you know, start talking to people about, you know, they, they work in some random industry and, you know, something that you never think of. And she's like, why are you, you know, why are you asking all these questions? Like, where are you, where are you coming up with all this stuff? And it's just, you know, curious about the world. And so I, I think you, you and I probably share that share that. Um, I think it's a prerequisite for being a good host. That's my, that's my version of a good host. If I was going to describe it, ne- ne- never run out of curiosity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, I think you and I probably overlapped on a couple of guests and uh, some, some pretty interesting conversations and in, in places where, you, you know, I, I, I really find the value and that you get to really dig into the weeds. And um, my more recent one I, ha- I did was with uh, Scott um, from Adabotics. And I think you and you guys had a conversation a few months ago as well. Yeah, not, 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 not that long ago. Actually, I checked out that episode this morning, actually, as prep for this one. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot you talked to Scott. And yeah, he's a, he's a really interesting individual. Yeah, like super dynamic guy, eclectic background. Like, yeah, I, I love his story. And he's just, he's just a character. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, what I loved about that was, you know, what the conversation that you had and I had with him was that, you know, Adabotics is in the headlines constantly, right? There's always every, every week there's another story or whatever. But, but really being able to get into the weeds with them and, and hear what their struggles are and hear about their technology and all that stuff in, in huge detail that's not available on a Calgary Herald article. Pretty special. So that is a nice, the, the long form of the podcast, like where you can quote unquote, have a real conversation, you know, that's not sound bites that isn't a 30 second or, 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 or a couple headlines. It is a, it is a very unique medium for that, for sure. And as an audience member, you can choose to listen, you can choose the people. So I'm like, Oh, why don't you make your episode shorter? I'm like, they, they, they take what they take and the a conversation goes where it goes, you know, if it's shorter, it is. And if it's longer, it is as well. I just, it's just kind of let it be that way. And it's very interesting. Very few mediums give you that kind of flexibility. Yep, exactly. So, I mean, you're talking that you, you spoke about the volume of episodes you had on the, on the podcast, right? Like that's, uh, that's no small feat to, to churn that out and, <laughs> and actually publish it and get everything organized, you know, do the headshots and, and push it out to all the various plat- platforms. So you must have some, a, a nice production, uh, workflow in place. Yes, I am very spoiled. I would not be anywhere. I would not have any of this if it wasn't for the people behind me. I'm very fortunate. And my team has a great workflow around it from like pulling the transcripts through Otter to sifting through. And I have a great copywriter who takes the headlines and kind of writes the blurbs for me. And so I have a really good team behind me and it, it you know, uh, make it look easy from the outside. But it's, it's like on average, I would say seven to 10 hours per episode. If you think about recording prep time, all of the creative that goes into it, the social media management to promote the episode. So 
if you figure it from a time perspective, and we mapped them out at the beginning. We're, we're, we're definitely a little bit more efficient now. But you know, six to 10 hours is a reasonable time to produce an episode if you pack everything into what it takes to edit it, record it, do research for it. You know, you're three, four hours, you're three hours in there at least. Plus, you know, the creative team pulls it together. So it is a, it, it's a, it's a time consuming little hobby, like not to be started lightly for anyone who's thinking about starting a podcast. Yeah. And I think that's, it's good you say that because it, it has become, you know, somewhat in vogue, I think in recent times. To, <laughs> yes, it has. To, I'm going to start a podcast, but you know, I think there was, I saw some statistic around this, the number of podcasts which were started and had, you know, one or two episodes and no, no more is like far exceeds the number of active podcasts ever. The stat I read was the amount of podcasts out there that have less than five episodes was like 64, 65%. Like it was a staggering number. Like I was, I was like, you know, and I've, I've heard a few stats recently, but yeah, mo- most of them, most of them die on the vine because it is a ton of work and getting guests. I'm at a really lucky place right now. I feel very fortunate that the guest list almost self propagates because everyone I, you know, I'm out there enough now that people are like, even if I do reach out, they're like, oh no, no, I've heard of you or I've listened to your episode. Like it's, it's still, it's still fun when you get that response. Because it is such a personal kind of, it's my creative output, if you will. <clears throat> but it's, 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 it's amazing how many people will say yes. Like, I, don't, I can count on one hand the amount of people that said no to coming on. And it's just because it wasn't the right timing. Like People are absolutely game. And once you've got a little bit of, you know, uh, if you're known a little bit, especially I love Calgary, big, small town, you can get known fairly quickly if you're consistent. It, it's, it's actually pretty easy to get really cool guests. I don't, know, I don't know, again, if you've had a similar experience. I have. Yep. Yep. No, it's, and I think it is also Calgary superpower. Like, People are willing to give you their time. They're willing to talk to you. They're willing to contribute. And ultimately, in the podcast, you're giving them the value of creating this piece of content for them. So I think it's a great exchange. Like I, I really like the medium. Even if it's just between you and, and the guest, it's a, va- it's a high value trade, which I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's a good way, like going back to the original idea that, you know, kind of founded the Collisions YYC podcast, right? You want to, sh- you want to showcase, you want to highlight, you want to show what, what actually is happening out there, right? With kind of this mindset of the, the tech and the future of Alberta and, and all this kind of stuff. It's a great way to, it's a great way to highlight that and maybe show people who are outside of that world, what's going on. So, and so. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, no, no, ahead. I just, I'm, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I think that was also my own, one of my own personal drivers I was like, oh, I'm downtown and I, you know, I'm in the scene and I, like, I had no clue what was going on. Like I, the part of it was, I felt a little bit guilty. I'm like, I need to know more about what's going on in my city. And, once you kind of look behind the curtain, there is so much going on. Like, it's hard not to be excited and optimistic about the future because, you know, even out of the 127 guests, like, and it's in, in a province and city our size, those are all influencers in their own little spheres. And that's a lot of people moving in, in a direction that is, you know, bought in for Calgary or positive about our future. And I, I think the more, you know, you're, you're the average of the five people you spend time with or the five social media feeds you follow, just talking to these guests is ultimately, it leaves me in a more positive state about everything. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, so 120 episodes, 127 episodes, that's a lot. And um, <laughs> it is. so at, it is. What, is, what is the current publishing frequency? Are you kind of one a week, two a week? Where are you at now? Um, well, we're trying to, well, right now we're two, we're, we're publishing two a week just to try to keep up because I, I, I have an embarrassment of riches when, I, you know, when I record and someone's like, oh, when's this going to be out? I'm like, oh, in two and a half months because we're, I have so much content. So we upped our we upped our publishing frequency to try to get at least a minimum of, of of eight to ten out per month, just so we don't have as much backlog. Because I don't want guests to feel like they get excited about their episode and it doesn't air for like ninety days. I, it always felt a little bit out of sync for me. So we're right now. I think in February we had eight episodes. January we had ten or eleven episodes because we had a little bit of a backlog coming out of last year. So yeah, eight to ten a month. Twelve would be if we really need to, because sometimes there is some timely. If someone comes on and they have an event that they want to promote or something that's coming up for them. 
and we talk about it, I will, I will make it fit. I will make it get out there. Like the marketer in me still wants to that piece of content to provide value for the guest. Nice. And so you're gonna, you guys will carry on, keep, keep putting out content for the foreseeable future. No, no shortage of guests on the horizon. No, it's a good question. Someone asked me like, where, where is it going? I'm like, I don't know, 200 seems like a good number kind of thing. Like we got to 100, and that was kind of felt like a milestone, and uh, which which it, which it was. And then next thing I looked, we're at I think we launched 100, like 128 came out today. So there's always chances to pivot on the content, and I'm always thinking about that. Like we've evolved from our initial formula, which was you know what's your view of transformation, what's happening. Like we had a very set formula. It was still conversational, but then all of a sudden, you know, we evolved into current and critical, which was my way of going like, how do I just talk about a specific topic? Like it isn't maybe a broad conversation around the economy, but it allowed us to also showcase people. Like it started off as topics like, you know, uh, the WeWork kind of debacle. And I got Alex Boudicci on to talk about that. And then when uh, Cardigo left and I got the general manager to come on and talk about that. But then that started morphing into like, well, we should talk about AI and we should talk about blockchain. And, and then we morphed into um, Beyond the Echo, where I realized I was a bit of an echo chamber talking to a lot of people that were saying different versions of similar things. So then started to reach out and get connected to people in the Valley or people in Kitchener, Waterloo, Toronto. And say, well, what's your perspective on Calgary from the outside about our tech, you know, ecosystem and those things? So I could see probably some evolution of, you know, maybe I go in a little bit more in the startup community, and you know, selfishly, I get to because of the nature of the, of the show, I get to really dive into the areas of interest for me. That also I get feedback. I'll talk to someone you, and you're like, oh, I'd love to hear more about this, and kind of directs me. So I would say, stay tuned for those types of like natural evolutions. But otherwise, you're right. There's lots of people to talk to, and. Every time I turn around, there's another cool story that I want to help get out there and selfishly learn about myself. So yeah, I'm, I have no, no intentions of, uh, of abandoning the path. I just, I enjoy it too much. I'd miss it. It'd be like a huge void in my life. Yeah, for sure. Is there anyone, anyone kind of on your hit list who, who you haven't been able to have a conversation with as of yet? Doug Schweitzer. Doug Schweitzer. All right. And yeah, we have had the, we had the episode booked. We were going to talk. And, and his, his team called me. He's like, he's got called into a meeting. I'm like, I get it. It's probably more important than coming on my podcast. I completely understand. But if he's listening, I would love to get him on the show. Some of the things that they're doing, I just want to really, really dive in. I kind of stayed a little bit away from the political side because politicians sometimes don't want to have a conversation. They want to, they want to just deliver their story. So it doesn't, like, it's a different one. Again, I, not, no criticism to anyone, but it's a different interview process when with, your, with a founder or you know, some type of technology or investor they want to have a dialogue where sometimes politicians, it's a little bit more challenging, but I think it's such a critical part of the intermingling of our future success here in Alberta. It's, it's, it would feel like a gap to me to not have, have Mr. Uh, Minister Schweitzer on the show. Yeah, that'd be a, be a very interesting one. But yeah, I can imagine with a, an economy that's never seen anything like this before, um, being on a podcast may take a backseat for some urgent meetings. So not, not a big surprise. <laughs> you know what? I would actually hope so. Actually, I, like, I yeah. don't even take it. I don't even take it personally a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Well, we'll stay tuned. I'm always, I'm, I feel honored and privileged when anybody says yes. It's still, it's a very, it's always humbling and just something about putting yourself out there that way. When someone gives you a good piece of feedback or they say, Hey, I heard this on a show. And lots of times I don't even remember the actual conversation, but someone will come to me and say, Hey, when you said that thing, or the guest said that, it really got me thinking or impacted me in this way. And man, I, I get one of those and I'm good for weeks, like from a motivation perspective. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll, we'll st- I'm going to stay tuned. Uh, hope- hopefully you can land that one and, and um, <laughs> yeah, continue, continue on. I'm putting it, I'm officially putting it out to the universe. <laughs> yeah. All right, Doug, if you're listening, <laughs> call Tyler. And, for, and if anybody knows him, just say, hey, I heard you got called out that you're supposed to be on. No, it's, it's all good. I will uh, continue to work with this team and we, we will find a time to make yeah. it happen. But yes, that is, uh, 
He is definitely one that comes to mind when you yeah, ask absolutely. Cool. Um, so getting back to the topic of, of tech in Alberta and economic transformation, um, mm-hmm. yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, you, you recently published a, a blog post on Medium. Uh, and the title of that is The Three Key Avenues to True Economic Transformation. Uh, and, and you know, the introduction, I'll just give the introductory tagline to put some context here. So Western Canada has been working towards an economically diverse future since Preston Manning's call of reform in the late 1980s. As host of the Collisions Why we see a hyper-local Alberta podcast centered on economic transformation. This is a rallying cry I hear from every guest. So <laughs> good, great, great lead and, and intro there. Your words, not mine. And yeah, so let's dive into this a little bit. What, what, uh, what brought all this forward and where, where's your head at in this space? It's interesting. And I think this, it, it, it targets back to a conversation you and I had after I, you know, having you on the show and we kind of had a little post talk afterwards. And I had some grand visions about, you know what, there, this is a gold mine of information in here. Like there's, hundred episodes at the time, I'm like, every guest had a nugget or had a perspective. And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to go in and mine this and find out kind of what the trends were. And that became very daunting very quickly. And, you know, it made me think, I'm like, there's got to be an AI solution for this. There's got to be. So, you know, how do you go back? And that's one thing I think the podcast world still struggles with. All this incredible value gets locked up in these, in these episodes. And, you know, besides maybe show notes, how do, you, how do you get at it? So I ended up working with my social media manager and we kind of more went like, okay, what are some of the themes that came out? And you know, it's almost like that people process technology of, you know, if you look at any business or any kind of form of change, what are going to be the pillars behind it? And, you know, adoption of technology, improving management practices, and improving efficiency, which also kind of later layers into that. And it was fun to start thinking about it when, you know, going back to the individual guests and what we talk about. And, you know, you said it, the technology change and, you know, technology as a sector to technology as an independent for, to an underpinning of everything that we do to literally the fast forward that's happened, I think, through COVID in the last 11 months when uh, so many barriers got removed from the, oh, that, you know, that's not how we operate or that doesn't work here. And I you know the adoption of technology at so many different levels and talking with startups, talking with larger organizations, you know, talking to a really interesting guest I had on was um, Chris Foster, who was the VP of IS and CIO over at TC Energy. And he talked about it, you know, from his senior level and, you know, he goes, the adoption of technology, he, you know, and management practices, he really talked about a culture. I really enjoyed him. He was one of like one of those inspiring leaders that really stuck out for me. And he was like, how do we create it's such a large organization where we've got, you know, big, big challenges around not only like, how do we, how does the world get its energy? Like, how do we deliver? And like, how do we reframe, you know, kind of how do we, how do we have an Uber style moment or an Airbnb moment where we rethink everything? He goes, you know, at the high level, that makes a lot of sense. But he goes, we have technology adoption at like, how do we keep people safe on site? You know, how do we empower our team to be able to adopt even the most simple technology? And, you know, I don't know if you've, I, I, I laugh sometimes that um, COVID stimulated the rebirth of the QR code. <laughs> you know, one of those amazing ideas. And he told me about an initiative where all of a sudden his team is like, hey, you know, we've got this problem of people being on site. And, you know, we're going to think about creating this big, you know, infrastructure. And as well, one of his team is like, well, why don't we just use QR, QR codes? Why don't we just, you know, thinking about how companies can think about it at a large level of how they're going to like disrupt and change the customer experience and the way they deliver using technology, but also from a management practices, creating enough space in your organization that allows the trial and fail or the trial and error that's required for technology to be adopted. And I think that was an underpinning that came out with so many guests from talking to, you know, a Chantal Malloy around change management and how do you bring your team along? And, you know, they're a company called Level that we had the privilege of doing some work with. And she talked about, they, 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 got into the change management game because they were working so much in technology 
and seeing how much was not being successful because the people weren't being brought along on the journey. Or there was such a you know, technology debt in these companies that they were trying to catch up while also trying to improve. And talking to many, so many different guests, it was interesting how that, was, that theme kind of spiraled around in so many ways. We've got a startup who's doing something like net new to change the world and wrestling with product market fit. And technology seemed to be always the underpinning to talking to these large organizations where, who were trying to rethink their reasons for being at a high level, the role technology would play, but also then allowing their teams to be able to try and fail at a very rapid pace. And this like, you know, have a problem on Friday, test the solution on Monday. And how much that was a real big culture shift for a lot of the companies here, especially the large like enterprise that had done things very much safe and process and, you know, like give us a, you know, a, a huge presentation on your thesis of why you think this might work. Moving to that rapid prototyping, you know, quick adoption that is inherent in the kind of tech startup world and bringing that in at the large organizations. And that kind of themes that spiraled through so many different guests and they all kind of presented it in their own way, but that's what kind of came out for me. Yeah, no, it was great. That's cool. So that felt a little bit long winded. Now I was like, I better get off my, I better grab my soapbox here for a second. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Have, have a sip of water. <laughs> totally, thank you. So uh, it's interesting that the QR thing you mentioned, I actually spoke the other day with a founder of an organization out of Edmonton and they are, they're developing out, uh, platform dependent on QR codes that's meant to help, you know, large organizations deal with the issue of, of getting information into people's hands quickly, you know, um, places like warehouses and hardware stores and things like that, where there's so many questions. And yeah, it's a totally, I was like, yeah, I haven't heard of QR codes forever. I thought, you know, NFC or one of these other technologies or, or ultimately a smartphone would just eventually have something on it that would just blow them away, but not, to, it's not the case. In fact, they're still, they seem to be making a pretty big comeback, which is interesting. I was out at a restaurant last night, uh, which is which is which is almost newsworthy in itself to be out at a restaurant, and you know the QR code on the table, and they and they they solved that problem of having to have a specific app that only worked with certain QR codes. Just hold your camera over it now, and it works. And you know, will menus ever come back? I I, I don't know. It's pretty convenient to just use your phone, and and especially the 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 places that have a good menu experience digitally. It's it's great. <laughs> like you know why why those are some of the things that we're not maybe won't go back to. I I don't know. It's that's what I get into. My, my crystal ball is not that, is, is not that great. Yeah, it's super interesting. I, mean, I, I know you and I chatted in the past about this, right? About the, the um, impact that COVID has had on the way we live and work and what's, what's going to stay, what's here to stay and what's not. So yeah, um, I, guess we'll, I guess we'll see. Any, any, well, sorry, not, not to jump in the interviewer chair here, but any, any kind of predictions or anything? We talked probably three months ago now and the world's changed significantly. Anything that you guys are seeing in your world, especially in the in you know the IT and the the the, the technical skill space, uh, what what's that thing? What are you what are you seeing going on? Uh, well, I think the commitment to remote work um, on the tech side is has only gotten stronger. It was already you know it was already on the rise, um, and then then it was well, yeah, we're going to do this temporarily, and well, yeah, we're going to change now. And now that now what I'm hearing is we'll hire anyone in North America. We don't care where they are. Uh, we just need smart people. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm seeing now as a trend. And, but, you know, of course there's always, there's always the expected correction. It's just, no one knows what that's going to look like. So I know it, it is, we're predicting against, again, an unprecedented event. Are you seeing, um, are you seeing talent like that lives here, but's working more outside? Like I had some interesting conversations with, um, Mark Pavelpoulos about kind of our advantage against the US from you know, from a visa perspective, but also from an immigration perspective. And he goes, makes Calgary a pretty popular location for people to live, but then to also be able to work for some of the biggest tech companies in the world. 
but be based here, which can be an advantage and kind of hurt us maybe at the same time. I don't know if you're seeing any kind of trends around that. Yeah, I mean, for sure, for the talent and the tactical individuals in, in Western Canada and wider Canada, it's it's con- a continued attraction, right? Like the American customers love the currency exchange as long as we're going to continue to float in the 70 cents range, which we're, I think we're at the upper end of at the moment, but that that can change quickly. Mm. You know, they're going to continue to love that 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 labor rate and and vice versa, right? The people who are in the local market love having the, the U.S. customer. So yeah, only seeing that command grow right in line with what my comment earlier about about people be willing to work anywhere in North America. And, you know, I guess the mm-hmm. on South America, South America is very much becoming more into the mix as I'm seeing as well. So interesting, you know, the the whole time zone and kind of the flexibility around that. I've heard a lot of people like, hey, we don't have to be here. But if they're if they're within one or two time zones, either way, we're good because that eliminates some of that problem. When you know offshoring used to create this whole eight hour time difference, which could be insurmountable for some for some companies, where they just said it wasn't it wasn't serviceable. They couldn't they couldn't use it in the long term. Yeah. So, but yeah, going back to your comment about you know QR codes and changes that are here to stay and everything, it's it's going to be really interesting to watch. You know, another, another one of the things is, is cash. Right, cash was already kind of on the decline, right? At, I, I don't I remember the last time I paid for anything with cash, but now increasingly it's like contact credit card, but every single time it's used contactless debit or credit card. And, and I think, you know, cash was, cash was already dying, but now it's really, it's really on its way. No, the, the whole payment, the payments world and, uh, you know, Nick Bake over at Helsum and some of the work they're doing as kind of a local company in that, in that space. But yeah, the payment space, I think is really another one of those just like, you know, slowly. And then all of a sudden, in terms of like from a COVID perspective, where it just got accelerated. Yeah. So going, going back Something to else your, that I'm, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, going, going, back to your, going back to your blog post um, about transformation yeah. and technology and whatever. I mean, I, I think that there are probably fewer people who are in a better position to make a comment on the pulse of how things are because you've had so many conversations with so many people and, and not just, nice to meet you. Here's my card. I'm going to meet the <laughs> next person. It's... Let's sit down and talk the, for the, an hour. The, the, net, the networking card shovel, yeah, yeah. It's not that, right? You, you've seriously had a chance to talk to a lot of people, a lot of leaders, a lot of people who are involved in a lot of things. And there's this ongoing conversation, and it's been going on, to your point, since the 80s, um, and, and maybe even before that. You know, what, what, are we, what are we doing here in Alberta, right? There's only so much oil in the ground. What's, what are, what's the next steps? We've got to think further ahead than five years. So, and where, where do we sit in, in the phases of that transformation, you know, from, from your point of view? It's an, it's an interesting question. Cause I think I'm also, my cognitive biases get fueled constantly. Cause I'm also talking to people that are being part of the change that are inherently positive. Like most people I talk to are very bullish on, on Calgary and bullish on, on Alberta. I would say since starting the podcast, I know, and again, it's just my own exposure. So I'm always trying to filter out my own biases to what's happening, but it definitely feels like there's a lot more energy around it and a lot more people that are moving in the direction of something different. I said, but it's still so early to tell in terms of like kind of what is going to be that emerging. You know, I had a conversation this morning with someone about, you know, Alberta IoT and everything that's happening around that and their belief, the IoT Center of Excellence and Alberta Internet of Things. Sorry not to do the, the acronym buzzwords. We, we live in a province full of acronyms and all of the technologies around that. And for some of these larger companies, how much if efficiencies are available just through adopting technologies kind of to their existing, that, that technology debt. It's a term I just heard recently of the technology debt. So, you know, obviously technology is going to be a, a huge thing, but to say, oh, we're going to be the next Silicon Valley, I've struggled with that because one, no one's going to be Silicon Valley because they, they are that, and you know, we're not going to be Kitchener or Waterloo. So I do believe like if I look out 10 years, there's a big shift happening where we're going to get a lot more of that diversification happening. I just don't know who's going to be the, 
or what sector or what we're going to be able to call it. Is it, is it ag sector that's going to go? Is it biotech? Is it, you know, technology as a startup and, and Alberta as a hub for that? And then, you know, sharing our wares with the rest of the world. That's where I struggle a little bit because a lot of people I talk to are being part of that and they're making change now. But then there's also that reality of like, we've got some short-term problems from an unemployment perspective and like skilled labor that, back to a conversation you and I had earlier, like how do you, how do we have this huge talent gap over here, but we have this huge skilled labor pool over here and we're moving ahead with these startups, but is it having an impact on those individuals and our downtown vacancy and all of this square footage that we have and how that's affecting our tax, our, our, our tax pool and how the city kind of maintains itself. Like, very excited about the 10 years from now and knowing that it will be different. And I think it's going to be very positive in between now and then, I think there's going to be a lot of like small wins, but is it going to be enough of an impact to shift some of these short-term problems and how are we going to get out of that? That's where I still struggle. Like I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic, but yet my reality goes, ah, how do we balance those two things? And I still struggle. Like I definitely don't have the answer or certainly a perspective to say, I think this is how it's going to unfold. Cool. Well, I appreciate the insight. And if you know anything, I know you, you've been, you've declared, self-declared Albertan, I guess, um, your perspective of what, what things like and may compare in other, in other provinces in Alberta. I'm not sure if you have anything there, but just on that subject, I did, I did have a conversation with an individual fairly recently who's, who spent a lot of time outside Calgary working in, in tech and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, her comment was, you know, I love the energy here. I love the, I love how people are so supportive of one another and, and feel like there's a real chance of, and I said, well, I wonder if, 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 that's a, if the same conversation is happening in, in Vancouver Tech Group and, and Toronto Tech Group and whatever else, right? Like, is it, are, we, are, we, are we fooling ourselves that, that we're, we, ha- we are more supportive of one another than any other parts of the country? And, mm. and you know, maybe it's just the same Kool-Aid. And she said, no, I think you're wrong. She said, I think it's better here. And that was quite a telling comment to me. And I don't know, I mean, if, that, if that's in alignment with what, what your experience is. I would say a hundred, a hundred percent. Like I, I've been joking. My, my new, my new joke is like our, one of our superpowers in Alberta is our willingness to help each other and our willingness to make introductions and to have a, have a conversation. And maybe I maybe you know, Adam, you come to me with something like, maybe I can't help you, but man, I'm going to introduce you to somebody that I think can. And I think that is absolutely something that, that, you know, that's our, you know, big small town kind of mindset. And it's funny. I had a conversation yesterday with, um, a tech startup out of Winnipeg. And I got connected through one of his marketing people. Jed heard about the podcast and reached out. Wants to know if it was a fit. And and again, my curiosity always gets me. I was like, oh, I'll have a conversation. And they're a three year startup, really kind of finding their groove and getting some success right now. And they do created um, an online uh, online use use technology to help manage the freight and trucking industry to help try to match the loads with the with with the with the, the available trucks. And he talked to me. I said, so what's it like? What's it like working in Winnipeg? And how? And he's like, well, I am envious. He goes, he said, you know, I'm not scared to say this, but if we leave Winnipeg to come to an environment where we see that you guys are farther ahead, you have a better infrastructure, you have more support, more access to talent, because we would move to Alberta, we would come to Calgary. So his perspective is, you know, you guys had this kind of left hook to your economy five years ago, which spurred a lot of change. And you had an external force go, okay, we need to get better at this. He's like, Winnipeg's kind of chugging along. And he goes, you just don't have the same. So he goes, I'm envious of what's going on. And he knew some of the guys from Skip and some of the guys from Harvest Builders. He goes, hey, they were going to set up in town. He, I never heard the story. This is his version. He goes, but somehow the place where they were going to set up the Harvest Builders and kind of make that, make that their home in Winnipeg, the city and the, the building owners couldn't get aligned on parking. And there was some red tape. And next thing you know, they pulled out and came to, and came to Calgary. And he used that as an example of goes, you guys are very attractive from what my peer group is here to what's going on in Alberta. So that view from the outside was really inspiring. And of course, now I'm trying to recruit him to come in to, to move here, obviously. 
But it was an interesting perspective to get to, yeah, in Winnipeg, it's not really. And he goes, the investment community is still a bit apprehensive. They're used to investing in, in hard assets and some of what was going on in Alberta. But I feel in the last couple of years, that's even shifted. And we have you know venture capital groups and, and people that are now willing to go, okay, I'm not maybe comfortable with investing in tech, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to make some bets and to try some things. His perspective was that they are struggling to get there and they saw us at least two to four years ahead of them and from his point of view. Yeah, super interesting. And uh, if anyone from Winnipeg is listening, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I asked him and he's like, I'm not scared of ruffles and feathers. I'll put it out there. I'm the one dealing with this and like, it's a real problem. So I always, I was, you know, so I won't, I won't name names. I'm going to have him on the show in a few weeks to kind of, kind of talk about that from his perspective, because I thought it was a really cool kind of from outside the echo chamber. Uh, perspective. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's true, like the, the harvest builders, you know, they have been making an impact and, and you know, Neo Financial, they're, they're just growing like absolute mm-hmm. gangbusters right now. And, and uh, in part due to the fact that they've had that support, I think. So um, yeah, there's, there's got to be some truth to his comments, I think. And any, well, what's your perspective on, you know, Infosys, we'll just use that 500 jobs in Alberta by 2023. And I, I heard two different perspectives this week. I heard one of like, you know what, my dev salaries, this was from an agency owner, my dev salaries have gone up, are, are, are up 15%. And he goes, you know, so let's remember, he says, I'm all on board for these companies coming to town, but it's really going to be hard on the talent pool in the short term. Then I had another uh, long-term, you know, Calgary you know, tech company leader who was very involved when it wasn't cool. And, you know, he's, he said, well, you know what, that's a price we need to pay, but it's still, it kind of raises the bar for all of us when we have more of these companies here. So curious your perspective on, you know, uh, not saying it's bad that they're coming to town, but just thinking about the impact and back to this talent gap problem that I think is very, very real. And I think, you know, that's something in your world that's very prevalent. Yeah, no, thanks for the question. I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I said when I saw that headline was 500 people from where? Because, you know, they're going to need technical individuals and, you know, we have a, we have a serious uh, shortage um, of, of experienced people. And we, the only, the only way we're going to make that that meet or make welcome them to, to Calgary and make them successful here is if we work really, really hard on bringing up the ne- next generation of technical talent. I think that's, it's the only way. And if we don't start, like we have to move now, right? They're supposed to be moving in pretty quick. So we need to move now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we, I double checked and it was like 500 jobs by 2023, yeah. but yeah, they, I think I saw it on social media the other day that one of their VPs was in town and it was classic Calgary. Everyone was just saying hi to her on social media. It was actually great. I'm like, that's so Calgary. Hey, welcome. So glad you're in town. And it was hilarious to look at it. It felt, it felt like she got white hatted by like 50 people just on their LinkedIn post. It was awesome. Like that's such a Calgary thing. I, I, I really, I made me smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I think it, it felt so small town, but in a good way, you know what I mean? Like not saying that negative at all. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we were chatting a little bit before the, before we started recording on this too. And I think Infosys is a great case, you know, in my view, plan A is, is we get to work on that, that mentorship and training piece now. Yeah. Plan B is we start hiring uh, cruise ships to bring people from other countries who have tech talent who can fill the need. Uh, and plan C is we all start poaching from each other and, and ruining companies locally, which is not a plan. So we, we have to... And that's often what happens, right? The feast or famine for talent. Exactly. It doesn't always seems like it's a very rare moment where there's some type of like equilibrium where there's a balance. There's always like one group has more power than the other and... It's interesting. I guess maybe also it doesn't get that you don't get the headlines when it's balanced. You get the headlines when it's like, oh, talent shortage or like, oh my God, unemployment is high. And, but you're right. We've got so many talented people here. You know, how do you build a 10 year 
developer from somebody who's just getting started? Like, it's hard to, you, how do you short circuit 10 years overnight? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I, I think that's going to plague us. I think that's going to be, a, a, that's going to continue to be a challenge going, going forward. And if you look at any big tech center, like uh, Silicon Valley, like whether it's like you can't even find real estate to like hang your hat versus talent, like fighting and pulling people across the street for, you know, a bonus here or cash or incentives or things there. Like, it feels like everywhere else is battling with. So, you know, I, I like your, I like your cruise ship comment. Like we, we need to think, we need to get literally outside the box or off our shores and go find, find these individuals to, to kind of be part of uh, our success. Yeah, for sure. And I just wanted to uh, kind of cover off the last little bit on your, on your blog post there. And so the, sure. the kind of the highlight points were, you know, adoption of technology, improving management practices and improving efficiency. Now those I think are, are things which are um, have been flagged historically mm-hmm. for you know any any kind of era in the last century, let's say <laughs> the people but, process technology is like trifecta no, is not but, a new but, concept. But yeah, you're as they map onto the current state where we sit today, you know, on the whole, mm-hmm. just be curious without having to regurgitate exactly what you wrote on the page, but be curious to just to get your thoughts, you know, as as they've existed historically and as they map onto our current state in Alberta. Uh, <laughs> Hmm. Can you can you restate the question? I'm kind of like I'm I'm with you philosophically, but I'm like I'm not sure how to answer that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. kinda in terms of like where we are, in terms of like you know we're we're a two out of ten on one or a three out of ten on the other. Is that what you? Is, I'm just trying to understand the ask. Yeah, so like uh, you know adoption of technology again. It's always something that's been we've been working on that as as a, as a as a society you know worldwide. We've been adopt we've been working on adopting technology to improve yes. companies. Same with management practices and same same with improvement of efficiency, right? But things have changed now, right? In in the COVID world, in a world where we've had accelerated change in technology because COVID has forced us to do those things. So, you know, how are those pillars really in Alberta impacted by what how the way things are right now? If that makes sense. Interesting. I, I think like 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 anywhere else, I think that there's been a well, just think of our main sector or resource sector. I have so many companies that are like, you know, for years, we just didn't have the motivation to make the really big changes. Like, and it's not to say that the innovate, that there wasn't innovation and there wasn't technological advances that were being made in, in the, in the oil and gas sector. I think a lot of the technology opportunities we have here is because there was a lot of that work that got done, but it was always kind of behind the scenes. It wasn't showcased in a way. When I talked to anyone from that, from those sectors, they're like, Hey, like to say we weren't innovative is incorrect. We just, it wasn't the headline worthy. But a lot of companies like that adoption of technology or improving management practice, I think you can't underestimate that we're being forced to do it. Like that there is a, that there is a sense of urgency and a sense of pain that Alberta was in. And I think that you know, in a good way, COVID has compounded it. Like the worst thing that would have probably happened for Alberta is that the oil and gas price bounced back too quickly. So that pain and that gap and that time frame, and there's, you know, you probably saw there was a lot of articles, you know, a few years back about the holding your breath strategy. Like, oh, we'll just hold our breath. We've been here before. It'll, it'll go away. And it didn't. So it really drove that. And I think I was, you know, that term, the technology debt. And I think so a lot of that adoption or the improvement in management practice and improving efficiency, I think a lot of companies are dealing with this, but especially in Alberta, a lot of people I talk to, we're just trying to get up to today so then we can start to move to the future. So I think that pain and that motivation. So I think we still have a lot of ways to go when it comes to that from everyone. I'm, from everyone I've talked I'll be careful. The asterisk is from everyone I, ta- I, I talk to. And Which is you know, I had someone tell me the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yes. But I always want to be like, I'm not the expert. I talk to the experts. That's the privilege or that's the honor that, that I have. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make me the expert by any stretch of the imagination. Um, is how much we have to catch up to, be, to be, be able to go to the future. So it's great to blue sky and think about all the things we're going to do and how it's going to be better. And I love that we have a bunch of startups doing that. But we have a lot of our established industries that are just trying to catch up and kind of modernize a little bit of where they need to be to their move forward. And I think 
that's going to be once that gets there. And I have no idea what the timeline is. I've just had a lot of guests talk about like, well, yeah, once we get our data up to speed and once we get this up to speed, then we can really tap in with some of these new technologies. You know, we can bring AI and machine learning to bear on our business. But until we get our data sorted and cleaned up and organized in a way, we don't even know what value we can find. And I think that's going to be interesting. Once that starts to happen, I think you'll see a little bit more of those sprints forward where right now we're playing catch up a little bit, which the world is all, all over. I'm not blaming Alberta, but there was a lot of, well, why would we change? Things are going great. We're making lots of money. Things are working. And you know, obviously, it's been five years since maybe that story has been floated around. I love that we're filling in some of those gaps with a lot of this startup environment where they're like, no, no, we, we see a problem. We're going we're to future solve it. But so many of our larger, our, our larger organizations, I think, are still catching up to a point where those technologies can even come to bear. I had a conversation the other day with a group of developers in the city, and they I think they were three years ago, they were three people, and now they're 75 people. And they really work they, deeply in the digital transformation world. And I, I made the mistake of saying, like, hey, some of this digital transformation you guys are talking about, is there a barrier for mid-sized companies because there's so much work and so much cost and that enterprise company actually have an advantage? And they said, no, it's absolutely the opposite. Typically, as a small to mid-sized business or like mid-market, 50 to 200 million, you're so much closer to your data. You're so much closer to your customer. You're so much closer to understanding what goes on. Those companies are able to actually go through that digital transformation cycle faster than large organizations where you get to just do a pilot project in one pocket in one arm of the company because it's so large and, and so complex. And that to me is a very interesting process of like, that's where you get the leapfrogging. That's where you get this mid-market company that all of a sudden now really gets to tap into AI and blockchain and robotics because they took all their data, they're understanding their customer and they moved forward quicker. That's a cool disruptor. And you know, I don't have any predictions or things to point to, but just the overall concept made me really excited about, wow, there's going to be a wave here in the next couple of years where we're going to see a lot of those things come to fruition from the idea stage. And like, okay, now we're ready to really use, just use, we'll pick on AI as a broad term. We're really ready to now have that change our business because we are now caught up to a point that we can actually use that technology properly. So I think that's kind of interesting. And I, I still think we're in the early days of that. And there's going to be some cool ways here in the next couple of years. Yep. Right on. Well, it's, it's something that's always been in the, in the blood and, you know, this in, innovative and improving efficiency. And, you know, as much as the, as the oil and gas industry has struggled with, you know, images and, and having to fight that battle of being this dirty, dirty thing. Um, you know, most people don't realize, or most people outside of, you know, this jurisdiction don't realize how much incredible technology has been developed over the decades by some brilliant minds, you know, uh, people who develop some, you know, even chemical processes, manufacturing processes, all kinds of seismic processes, which have applications outside of just oil and gas and just, you know, brilliant technology that's been developed. And it really doesn't get enough credit. So, you know, I, our, I agree with our, you. I agree with you 100%. That themes come up like, whoa, hey, let's not be so quick to call, not, to call that industry not innovative. They maybe have a brand and a, and, a, and a like comms challenge out there to the world, but that doesn't mean that they've been on, not on the bleeding edge of, you know, just look at the SAG-D and kind of the government got behind that. If you go back to the history of that, which I don't know super well, but I've had that brought up by a few guys of like, hey, that was a really innovative thing we did here that like the government got behind and we took a big chance and it, and it underpinned a part of our industry for a considerable, you know, we exported that technology all over the world. It, that's so easy to forget, get forgotten about because it kind of goes into that like, oh, we don't want to speak about that category. But that's really unfair. I think that that's a miss. <clears throat> and I've had a few guests come on and like, hey, let's stop trying to be Silicon Valley. Let's stop trying to be Toronto or Waterloo or wherever. Let's really talk about what we're good at here. And we do physical things really well. <laughs> we have really smart people that build stuff. And there's a lot to be said for that. And I think that the art of like being able to create things sometimes gets lost in this technology world where oh, everything exists in the cloud. 
somewhere, somehow, somebody, the, the rubber still needs to meet the road. And Alberta has been really good at that for a long time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like it sounds like we're fairly well and aligned on that discussion as well. we'll <laughs> uh, we're, uh, we've been going about 55 minutes, 52 minutes here, Tyler. And the last uh, 20 minutes disappeared like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I just, I want to be, uh, want to be careful here not to, not to borrow too much of your time. So, you know, I'll give you an opportunity to, to share anything else that you might want to before we finish. Adam, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for the work you do. And I, I just, I will take this opportunity to, to thank Calgary and the amazing guests that I've come on, the audience that I have, the feedback, the amount of people that I've been able to be in touch with that are just really positive and are putting in the work for, to, to make the difference. Like there's a lot of people that I'll be blunt, are clicking our head down, ass up, working, their, working themselves to the bone to create this change. And they're very bought in for Alberta. So this is just a huge thank you to all those individuals. And you know, we're all kind of in it together. And I, I really get a sense of that. And, you know, whether it was COVID or pre-COVID, like we've been brought together as a community around solving this problem in a way that it's incredibly impressive to me. Like when I say I'm an Albertan and I'm a Calgarian, like I'm all in, like there's no group of people I wouldn't, I would rather be wanting to solve this problem with than the people we have here. And it's only, it's only, in, you know, including yourself and the work that you're doing of like putting yourself out there to be part of the community and like to be part of the solution, not just sitting around complaining about the things that are going wrong. Like that, you know, those headlines get taken care of over there. But there's a huge group that's got a lot of momentum going on. And I, I think it's amazing. I'm continued to be more and more bullish on, on, on Calgary with every guest I talk yeah, to. Yeah, cool. And, and to your point, right, you and, I, uh, you and I have never actually met in person, though we, we've spoken. True. I think we've had conversations that have run hours um, in, in total. So it's just, it's great, you know, but you got you to gotta work for it, but it's cool. So um, yeah, really appreciate you making the time, Tyler. And uh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And you and I have a beer on a patio coming sometime soon. I'm, hope, I'm hoping very, the weather's complying now. We can just get COVID out of the way. Yeah, I, uh, I tell you, I miss draft beer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you can drink a beer at home, but it's not the same. Anyway, anyways, yeah, let's not get into the details. <laughs> so yeah, and, and anyone who wants to check out Tyler's podcast, if you haven't already, it's Collisions YYC. That's collisionsyyc.com. And you guys are on all the standard top popular podcast channels and yes we are yep Any, anywhere you find your podcast you will you will find us hanging out there but thanks thanks for the plug adam and thanks for having me on i really appreciate it yeah not at all it's been great to have you thanks if you haven't already visit rainforestab.ca and sign the rainforest social contract become part of the inclusive silo busting sector agnostic all industry open sourced ego shrinking ecosystem building entrepreneur focused wide open social barrier smashing community known as rainforest alberta this episode is brought to you by community now magazine engage inspire educate together music for the show was created by tony del Degan. please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.